0: If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of James, chapter three. James, chapter three. I believe in the, uh, if you have a Bible from the back there, it's 1114. At least it's near there. So you'll get close if you get to that page. Uh, but James, chapter three, and we'll focus on verses 13 through 18 this morning. Let me get, begin with a, a few questions for you to think about. Uh, who who is wise and understanding among Grace Fellowship Church? When you think about who is wise and understanding among us. Who comes to mind? Who are the the wisest people that you know? And maybe expand beyond that. Who who in the world do you think has the most understanding? If we just kind of off the top of our heads start answering that question. Um, Maybe not even as as followers of Christ, but just as if we just ask that question at large, different groups of people might come to mind. So we might answer the question by beginning with people who are extremely intelligent, who's wise and who's understanding. Well, it's the extremely intelligent. It's it's historians, it's authors, it's um, college and university professors, engineers. Those guys are really smart. Or maybe that rocket scientist. Right? Everyone talks about the rocket scientist. Maybe they are the people that are of great understanding and wisdom. Or maybe you would go to people who are elite in the business world, to entrepreneurs, to CEOs, millionaires and billionaires. These people have to be wise if they make that much money, right? They have to have some sort of wisdom, some sort of understanding. Or we might think about people who have power and influence over other people, so world leaders, Uh, Presidents, politicians, these are the wise and the understanding among us. Even celebrities might make the list as wise and understanding simply because they have some sort of influence over culture at large. But the question as we come and think about what wisdom is from the book of James is are these individuals truly wise and understanding? Intelligence isn't necessarily wisdom, right? I read this this week. Someone has said that intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. (laughs) Not bad. It illustrates the point, even if it's a little hokey. Uh, But there's a difference between wisdom and intelligence. Being smart doesn't necessarily mean that you are wise. Having money doesn't necessarily make a person wise. Having power doesn't make a person wise. Some of the most foolish decisions in the world have been made by people with massive power and influence. How do we know who is wise and who is understanding among us? And what really is wisdom according to the scriptures? And not only how do we know who is wise among us, but how do, how do we make sure that we are wise? How do we know that, that I am wise, that I am understanding, that you are that? These are the questions I want us to, to kind of ask and seek the answer to. And I think that's what James is going to address for us here in James chapter 3. And he's going to help us consider the difference between a couple different kinds of wisdom, a a so-called wisdom, a a worldly wisdom, as compared to to true, godly, righteous wisdom and understanding. Of course, our goal can't be just to figure out, well, what's false wisdom and what's true wisdom? The goal, especially in the book of James, is not just to identify it, but to walk in it. We want to be people who walk in Wisdom. We don't want to just know the difference between false and true wisdom. We want true wisdom to to rule our lives. We want it to guide every moment, every decision that we make. So as James contrasts these two different kinds of wisdom, true and, and false wisdom, this is what I think he's saying to us. This is our big idea. It's a little long, so I'll say it a couple of times. But this is what James is telling us to do. He says, seek the wisdom that finds its source in God. Seek the wisdom that finds its source in God, is characterized by good works, and results in peace. Source, characteristics, and results. Seek the wisdom that finds its source in God, the wisdom that is characterized by good works, and the wisdom that results in peace. If we're not seeking this true wisdom then we are going to naturally default into earthly, self-seeking, divisive wisdom, because that is naturally what is a part of this world. And James is going to show us that. But he also, he's going to reveal the sources of these kinds of wisdom. He's going to reveal the characteristics of these wisdoms. He's going to reveal the result the results of this kind of wisdom. And in all of that, he's telling us, look at these two kinds of wisdoms. Now, seek the wisdom that finds its source in God, is characterized by good works, and results in peace and harmony. Let's read James three, thirteen to eighteen, and look for these things. As as I'm reading, I want you to keep an eye out for these two different kinds of wisdom. You can spot this as I'm reading. Look for two different kinds of wisdom, and also look for those three things: the source of those of that those different kinds of wisdom, the char- what characterizes that wisdom, and what are the results of those two different kinds of wisdom. Okay. James is telling us to seek this kind of wisdom, this godly wisdom that finds its source in God, is characterized by these good works, and results in peace. Now let's, we're jumping back into James after a week off, so hopefully you remember this outline of chapters 2 through 5 that's that uh, James gives us in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. 1, 26 and 27, James writes, "...if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in those two verses, James shows us that if we have been truly brought forth by the word of truth, if we have received the implanted word, we will be doers of the word and not hearers only, and we will see this newness breaking out in different areas of our lives. Specifically, we'll see it in a controlled tongue, a concern for the needy, and a commitment to holiness. So in chapter 2, James talks about this concern for the needy, and we address that. Then two weeks ago, we talked about um, having a controlled tongue, and we were all extremely convicted. Uh, we talked about that. And this week, here, he makes the transition in, in, in verse 13 of chapter 3. He makes this sort of subtle shift to focus on a commitment to holiness and godliness. If we are God's people by the miracle of the new birth, then we will be committed to holiness and godliness, and part of that godliness is this wisdom from above that James is going to talk about. Of course, as we've seen with James, he's starting a new section, but he's going to build on everything that he's done before. It just slowly, it's like stair steps, or it's like that sort of climbing scale in music that I tried to sing for you one time and never will do again. Um, but you, you may remember, how did he begin chapter 3? He begins in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And there seems to to be some who are in the church who wanted to be teachers, but had wrong or at least sort of conflicted motivations. And it's to these aspiring teachers that he seems to have, have in mind that when he begins this section. So he told them, be careful because you're going to be judged more harshly and think about you're talking a lot, so you're going to be judged more harshly by the things you say. And if they haven't been backed off, By that, then he wants to be sure that they understand what true wisdom is and who is truly wise and who is understanding. He wants the teachers, when he asks this question, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? He wants the people who stand up and say, I am and I should be a teacher, he wants them to pause and say, do I have true wisdom? Do I have the wisdom that is from above or is my wisdom earthly and divisive? So we're going to consider, again, the sources, characteristics, and results of these two different kinds of wisdom. But I want to note that James begins verse 13 in a familiar way. He asks his question, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So this is what James is saying. Wisdom is evidenced by what we do. Wisdom is evidenced by what we do. That's that's a kind of a broad statement that kind of is over this passage. Wisdom is evidenced by what we do. Um, but it's also sort of the, the theme for the whole book of James, that who we are is evidenced by the things that we do. Whatever kind of wisdom we have, it will be revealed by our actions. James is all about a faith that works, isn't he? That's, that's what he keeps talking about, faith that shows itself in the deeds that result from that faith. So James has no time for talk, and no action. And he's consistently saying to people, if you claim to have faith, or in this case, if you claim to have wisdom, he says, prove it. Show me by what you do that you have what you have, or that you say or that you are who you say you are. You need to show it by your life. And the same is true for wisdom. So what will be the evidence of of wisdom? How can we identify people who are wise and understanding among us? Are money and power and influence evidences of wisdom? Will true wisdom be revealed in the number of books someone's read or the number of books that someone has written or the number of followers they have on social media? How how does godly wisdom reveal itself? Look at what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. How does godly wisdom reveal itself? James says it will be shown by the conduct of your life. By whether what we do in, day, by whether what we do day in and day out is good and marked by meekness. Good conduct performed in meekness. That's the sign of true wisdom. What is wisdom? It's good conduct performed in meekness. Right away, wisdom is seen not as something that can be tested in isolation, but is tested in relationship. If James were to draw the picture of someone who was wise, he would not draw this guy that we always often picture. Who is it? It's the guy sitting on the top of the mountain with the long beard all by himself with his eyes closed. That's not wisdom, according to James. Remember, what is at the heartbeat of James? It's it's the Sermon on the Mount, and even closer to his heartbeat is the royal law. And what is the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Wisdom, then, is not found on the mountaintop. Wisdom is found in the nitty gritty of relationships. It's in relationships when a person can show meekness and humility. That is wisdom. This gets very practical, doesn't it? Wisdom is revealed in marriages. Wisdom is revealed, uh, kids, in how you interact with your brothers and sisters. Wisdom is revealed in how you interact with your co workers. Wisdom, parents, is revealed in how we interact with our children, how we interact with our neighbors. It's with the, it's how we respond and react to the people that we love, and the people that drive us totally crazy. <laughs> wisdom is shown. If, can we work in in ways that honor God with meekness and humility? That is what wisdom is. James says. So wisdom doesn't reside primarily in our heads. It resides in our hands. It's not revealed how how high we can hold our noses in the air, but how. Lo, we are willing to stoop and to serve others. That is what wisdom is. James believed his brother Jesus when he said, Blessed are the meek. And James knew that Jesus himself was meek. Jesus himself said, you remember, I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus Christ is true wisdom. And his wisdom was manifested in good works done in meekness. Isn't that the way that Jesus showed his wisdom? Good works done in meekness. If we are wise, it will show forth in our lives in the exact same way. Of course, James has more to say than just um, this idea that wisdom is evidenced by what we do. Again, he's going to talk about the source, the characteristics, and the results of wisdom, both kinds. So we're going to organize the rest of our thoughts underneath those headings. The source of wisdom, the characteristics of wisdom, and the results of wisdom. So let's begin with the source of wisdom. And we'll consider both kinds of wisdom here. What is the source of both the false wisdom and the true wisdom? You may remember when we talked about the tongue that James pulled in this illustration, saying it's impossible to have a stream that produces both fresh water and salt water. It's going to produce one or the other. So we said that the issue with our tongues is not an issue of our tongue. What's an issue? What's it an issue of? It's an issue of our heart, because out of the overflow of the of the of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in the same way here, parallel, the source of wisdom in our lives is vital. It's not about trying to figure out, well, what are the characteristics of wisdom, and I need to attach those to my lives. If that's where we start, we say, I'm worried about the characteristics and the results, and we never get to the source and see what the source of our wisdom is, it's going to be like this polluted stream. Maybe you can think about a pond, and this pond is just nasty, and you want to clean it up. And you keep cleaning it up, and it keeps getting nastier and nastier and nastier, no matter how much you clean it up. Well, the problem is you need to find the source, and you need to hike through the woods and do the hard work of finding what is the source of this pond, where is this stream coming from, and why is it polluting this pond? And that pond is our lives, and we need to find out, what. if we struggle with these relationships, where am I finding my wisdom? Where am I looking for my, my hope and my by confidence in relationships and in wisdom. So in the description of this so-called wisdom of false wisdom, look at verse 15, he talks about where it's from. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, spiritual, demonic. So James is going to say, he says where it's not from. It does not find its source in God. Instead, it is earthly, it is spiritual, and it's demonic. It's this classic triad that you may know from First John. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Same thing that he's talking about here. The false wisdom is worldly. It's, it's rooted in the earth. It measures uh, success according to the standards of this world. Uh, this wisdom values what the world values. It values money and power and self-centeredness and greed and status and all of these things like that because it finds its source in the world. It's, it's unspiritual, it's fleshly, it's driven by the appetites of the sinful nature, and it seeks its own good rather than seeking the good of others. And then James goes as far as to call it demonic. That's a bold statement, but it's not surprising. What did he say about the tongue? The tongue is a fire, and where is it set on fire by? Hell itself. It's set on fire by hell. And here he says false wisdom is founded on the kingdom of God of the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. And that's what it shows up like. It shows up in lies and it shows up in accusations against our brothers and sisters. This is the source of false wisdom. And that's why the pond is polluted and rank and nasty. Because that's the source. True wisdom is not rooted in us. It's not rooted in the world. It's not rooted in the demonic powers. But it is... From above, you see that in verse 17. But the wisdom from above—that's in contrast to verse 15. This wisdom that comes down, that this, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Well, true wisdom is the wisdom that comes down from above. It's supernaturally given by God. James has told us in chapter one. Remember, where does every good and every perfect gift come from? It comes down from the Father of lights. He told us that if we lack wisdom, what should we do? Ask God for it. Why? Because God is the source of wisdom, and he freely gives it. Solomon tells his son in in Proverbs 2.6 that he needs to seek hard after wisdom. He needs to mine for it like gold and silver. And then he says, because the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. If we want wisdom... The first step is to think about these sources, and we need to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves and realize that any true wisdom that we will have has to come from God. And if it doesn't, we will be relying on earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom that will fail us. Solomon says that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. It's a reverence of God for who He is, and that He is the source of all good things, including wisdom itself. You know what else Solomon says is the, the beginning of wisdom? He says, here's the beginning of wisdom. Get wisdom. I love that. The beginning of wisdom is to realize that you don't have it and that God has to give it to you. We can only be wise when we recognize that we are not wise and that God is. When we revere God as the source of all good and we humble ourselves before him, then we are on the path towards true wisdom. As I thought about that, I thought this is also the the beginning, the path of gaining the greatest wisdom of all, isn't it? The wisdom of the gospel, it's foolishness to the world, but we come to know God's salvation when we first admit that we cannot save ourselves, that we do not have that wisdom, we do not have that power, that the source of our redemption has to be outside of us. It's not in ourselves, it's not in the world, but it's in God through Christ. True wisdom is found in the foolishness of the cross in meekly and humbly admitting our sin in confessing our inability to save, our, save ourselves in trusting that God in Christ has given us salvation by dying in our place and then he can take us and he can transform us from worldly, fleshly, demonic creatures into new creations who find their wisdom in God alone so what are the sources of wisdom? the the source of Of this false wisdom, it's not from above. It's from the world, the flesh, and the devil. But true wisdom comes from God alone. And that kind of wisdom is going to be revealed by the characteristics that flow from them. So consider first the the characteristics of wisdom. So we've seen the source. Now think about the characteristics. Verses 14 and 16 both show us that false wisdom is marked by two characteristics. So you look at verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth and then those things show up again in verse 16 for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists there will be disorder and every evil practice this false wisdom is a wisdom that sees everyone as an enemy and self-exaltation is its only goal this is a wisdom that can't rejoice in good it can't teach well because the person is is threatened by everyone. When they hear someone do something better than they, they remember how far short they fall, and they want to be the one that's exalted. There's this relational component to, to wisdom, and this false wisdom, it has this divisive attitude. One commentator, Montier, describes it like this. There are those who are quick on the draw, more than ready to fight for their rights, and easily prepared to feel that they are in some way threatened by others. It is more this sharpness of spirit in personal relationships. This over-concern for one's own position, dignity, rights, or whatever that James has in mind. That's helpful to me. An over-concern for one's own position, dignity, rights. and If none of that fits you, or whatever. (laughs) Over-concern for ourselves. Kent Hughes illustrates it in a sadly comical story. Let me read this to you. It says, The story is told of two men who lived in a certain city. One was envious and the other covetous. The ruler of the city sent for them and said he wanted to grant them one wish each with this proviso, that the one who chose first would get exactly what he asked for, while the other man would get exactly twice what the first had asked for himself. The envious man was ordered to choose first, but immediately found himself in a quandary. He wanted to choose something great for himself, but realized that if he did so, the other would get twice as much. He thought for a while and then asked that one of his eyes be put out. That's the spirit. That sounds disgusting, doesn't it? How despicable that someone would do that. And yet, that's the wisdom of the world. It says, I don't want anyone to get ahead of me. I don't want anyone to be above me, because I am the one, and I have—I think only about myself. This is the foolishness of the wisdom of the world. It's filled with bitter envy. It's filled with selfish ambition, and that's what it looks like in our lives. Jumping ahead then, I said we were going to do source, then characteristics, then results, but let me just talk about the results of this false wisdom, because it's right there in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition lead to divisiveness and all kinds of evil. This so-called wisdom, all that leads to is division. It leads to cliques. It's at the root probably of many church splits. It's at the root of much of the disorder and the conflict that is in our lives. If we cannot rejoice with others, if we only see other people as threats to us, to our name, to our fame, if we're concerned solely with our own personal ambitions, our goals, our desires, then division and disorder and all kinds of vile things are the result. This is the wisdom of the world, isn't it? It says, look out for number one. It says, greed is good. It says, nice guys finish last. It views people as stepping stones. It's filled with pride rather than meekness. It destroys, and it's what every single one of us in our natural sinful hearts desires. And it's something that we fight Until the day Jesus comes back, we need to look into the mirror of God's word, and we need to see where this false wisdom is reflected in our own lives and even in our church. We must allow God's Spirit to search our hearts and reveal how we're envious, how we're jealous, how we're filled with selfish ambition. And we need to think about how these attitudes—they lead to just division and they lead to destruction. We need to confess these sinful attitudes. And we need to seek godly wisdom. So what are the characteristics of this godly wisdom? The list is a lot longer than just two, isn't it? It's there in verse 17. Um, I'm going to move fairly quickly through it and overwhelm all of us. Um, But we can uh, meditate on this more throughout the week. But let's look at this list. It begins with purity, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. It's the first thing. Ken Hughes says that this refers to both moral and devotional purity. It's a it's a purity in, in all areas of life. It's a pure and a pure and focused and single devotion to Christ. We're not concerned about ourselves, we're we're pure in our devotion to Christ. We have to be free from the defilements of sin, but we're also fully devoted to God and not to our own interests. We seek His glory, not our own. And James says this is the first thing that we need to have. Our purity of heart sets the tone for everything else. If if our lives are clouded by moral impurity or if we lack zeal and devotion to God, then we're not going to have this true wisdom. The next characteristic that flows from true wisdom is to be, you see it there, is to be peaceable or peaceful or peace-loving. The wise value Harmony and peace. People value fighting, anger, nastiness. They value peace and they reach out to others, not to cause disruption, but to bring calm and peace. That kind of spirit requires gentleness. That's the next thing we see there. True wisdom is gentle, it's kind, it's considerate. A wise person is patient when they are accused and is gentle to the people that accuse him. A wise woman yields whenever it's possible to do so without doing violence to the truth. If I can yield to you and not compromise the truth, I will do it. I will be gentle in this circumstance. True wisdom is next characterized by being open to reason. Open to reason. I think the opposite of open to reason would be stubbornness, an unwillingness to be wrong, an unwillingness to listen to the reasoning of others. Wis- wisdom stands for the truth, but wisdom is also willing to be wrong, willing to hear the perspective of others. Again, Motyer's helpful. He says, the wise are not necessarily easily persuaded, but readily persuaded. We're open to being persuaded by someone else's point of view. One more illustration from Kent Hughes, because he's way better at them than I am. Um, this is from the life of Abraham Lincoln. I found this very poignant. He says, On one occasion, Abraham Lincoln, to please a certain politician, issued a command to transfer certain regiments. When Secretary of War Edwin Stanton received the order, he refused to carry it out, saying the president was a fool. When Lincoln was told of this, he replied, If Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be. For he is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. And the two men talked, As the two men talked, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake, and without hesitation, he withdrew. A teachable, open spirit is often a major key in diffusing conflict. Isn't that amazing? What power Lincoln had, and yet he's willing to lay it aside and say, someone else might know better than me. Of course, Jesus is the great example of that, isn't he? Jesus is never wrong, (laughs) but he was willing to humble himself. Are we open to reason? Are we open to listening to others? For the sake of peace. Next, wisdom is characterized by being full of mercy and good fruits. I think the fruits could be the fruit of the Spirit. The mercy here means that the, the wise are not those who are eager to give people what they feel they deserve because they, they know that they have been shown mercy. You remember last week as Joshua was talking through Colossians, I was so struck by what he said that That we are ready to forgive others because we have been forgiven by God. And that applies to so many other things. We are ready to, to show mercy because we have been shown mercy. The moment that we are quick to judge, the moment that we are quick to give people what we think they deserve, the judgment that they deserve, we have lost sight of how much mercy we have been given. And that is foolishness. It's the wisdom of this world. When we see who we, how we don't receive the judgment that we deserve, then we will be quick to withhold judgment. We will show mercy to others. Next wisdom is impartial. Or maybe we could say without uncertainty. The wise woman, the wise man, is not the double-minded person of chapter 1. Remember that guy? Couldn't figure out which way to think. Impartial, without uncertainty. He or she doesn't change opinions depending on the time of day or the person that we're talking to. A wise person is is impartial, consistent. And then finally, wisdom is marked by sincerity. Wisdom is without hypocrisy. It doesn't act one way in public and another way in private. I think this is what James is referencing in verse 14. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. I think he's saying don't say you're wise if you have these things because that's just hypocrisy. You're lying to yourself, and that's not true. In contrast, those who are truly wise are sincere. To say you're wise but to harbor, harbor envy and pride in your heart is to deny the truth. It's to say you hold the truth with your lips but then to deny it by your attitude. And the wise are sincere. What you see is what you get. True wisdom finds its source in God. It's characterized by these meek and godly attitudes. How different the wisdom of God is than the jealous, self-seeking wisdom of this world. And not only are its characteristics different, but the results are going to be totally different too. What are the results of true wisdom? We saw that the... So we'll think this is the last thing, the results of, of true wisdom. We saw that worldly, selfish, demonic wisdom brings about what? Division and vile deeds. What does true wisdom bring about? This is a beautiful verse worthy of meditation, worthy of writing somewhere. Put it in your back pocket. Verse 18, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If I knew how to make a garden stone, I'd put that in a garden, you know? just makes sense. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace. What does truism result in? Peace and righteousness. Those things are the exact opposite of division and vile deeds. True righteousness doesn't result in division. It results in peace. And it doesn't result in vile deeds. It results in righteousness. This is what we want, isn't it? James uses this illustration. It's rooted in agriculture. And he says that if, if you're a peacemaker and you're sowing seed in peace, then you're going to produce righteousness. You will produce the good conduct that naturally flows from true wisdom. True wisdom goes about sowing peace. It sows these characteristics of, of, of verse 17. And over time, always time, <laughs> it always takes time, but fruit comes out of that garden. And it's the fruit of righteousness and peace. Just a side note. Think about that time peace. We can't the characteristics of verse 17 and think that it's going to happen fast. It takes time but the result is righteousness and the result is peace. What a beautiful crop that comes from this wisdom. So much better than the disorder and the vileness, these weeds that come from earthly, demonic wisdom. This is the crop that we want, isn't it? This is what we want in our lives. I want peace. I want righteousness in my life and I sow it by true wisdom. I want that in my home. I want that in our church. I want that in all the interactions that I have with all people. We want to see the fruits of peace and righteousness in all of our relationships. And this is the fruit that glorifies God, that reflects the meekness and the holiness of Jesus. and models to everyone who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He is the great peacemaker. He's made peace between sinful man and a holy God by laying down his own rights that's what we're called to do. We are called to do the same. And as we do it, we proclaim the gospel with our lives. Now, if you're like me, well, hopefully someone like me in this way, at least. If you're like me, there are two struggles that you have right now. The, one is to think, I can do this. I will produce these characteristics in myself. I will be who verse 17 talks about this lovely person but if we think that we've forgotten the source what is the source of wisdom all that comes is from God it comes from above this wisdom is supernatural and the characteristics are the work of the spirit and the results are evidence not of our efforts but of of God's work we have to remember that this is wisdom that comes where from above it doesn't come from within it comes from above. It is supernatural, and if we're going to see these things worked out in our lives, it begins by knowing that the source is God alone, and he will work them out in our lives. Now, saying that, then the other struggle on the opposite end is to be overwhelmed and to do nothing, or to just say, well, God's going to have to do it. If I'm going to be like this, I can't do it. But just because this is God's work does not, and it's not formed by our own efforts doesn't mean we don't do anything. I have to persevere in seeking wisdom. I have to examine my heart. I have to root out worldly wisdom. I have to see where it is, and I have to seek the kind of wisdom that comes from God and is marked by this. Be pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. That's who I want to be. And again, these crops take time to mature. They take effort. If you've ever gardened, you know it takes... A lot of effort. And they take the grace of God in the end. And to that end, let me read just a paragraph from this commentary. This is by a guy named N.T. Wright. And He summarized it so well as I was reading through this, just struck me in my heart, convicted me, and helped me to see how to practically apply this. He talks about this description in verse 17. Let me read a little bit and see if it gives you these practical steps as it did me. He says, James has already told us right at the start of the letter that God will give this wisdom to anyone who asks in faith. Now he tells us what it will look like when that, when that happens. It's clear that this wisdom isn't a matter of knowing a large number of facts. That's where we started. It's not where it's at. It's not a particular skill in negotiating or managing or leadership or academic scholarship. It's much deeper than any of these. I love that. We think that that's where wisdom is. It's actually a lot deeper than that. It's holy, peaceful, gentle, compliant wisdom filled with mercy and good fruits, unbiased, sincere. It might be easy for those James has described already, those filled with jealousy and contention, to pour scorn on these characteristics. In our cynical age, people might look on someone who is gentle and compliant as a wimp, perhaps a bit naive, not really aware of how nasty the world is. But these characteristics have nothing to do with naivete. They are hard to acquire, and hard to maintain. They can only be sustained at great personal cost. They only appear where there has been a steady habit of prayer and self-discipline. Even then, they may take a while to show themselves. This is real practical then. It would be worth spending the time to work through the words in this list one by one. Do it slowly. Review your life in the light of them. You might want to make a note of the times, the places, and particularly the people that make it hard for you to live in this way and then to pray for strength and for this wisdom from above to hold firm when the challenge comes round once more. That's really practical. Don't just hear it and say, well, that's really practical, and then don't do anything about it, okay? So do it slowly. Read through this list one by one. Do it slowly. Review your life. Think about the times, the places and the people where it's hard for you to live in this way and then pray for strength and seek out this wisdom. That that joining of it comes from above, but it's also going to take this effort. Right, closes like this. Think of it like this. Suppose you lived in a village or worked in a college or a factory or a farm. Suppose some of the people you met every day were like the people in verse 16. That's the worldly wisdom. And others were like the people in verse 17. That's the godly wisdom. Which one would you rather see coming towards you down the street? (laughs) Which one would you rather have as a neighbor? The question answers itself. The challenge is how to become that neighbor yourself. And once more, the answer is this. Wisdom comes from above. Pray for it. Persevere. Pray for it and persevere. Oh, the balance of that. To pray for it, to trust God to do it, but to persevere and work hard for it, to trust and to work hard. Again, James tells us to seek the wisdom that finds its source in God, the wisdom that is characterized by good works, the wisdom that results in peace. And this wisdom is not worked out in isolation. Don't think that you're going to find it by going somewhere else. It's worked out in relationship. It works against divisiveness. It works against bitterness. It works against self-interest and envy, and it instead works for unity, works for peace. So may we together by God's grace, in his strength, seek this kind of wisdom. And may we see this harvest of righteousness in our lives and in our church as we sow these things in peace.